Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Divorced Girl Smiling Podcast. My name is Jackie Pilisoff, and I'm your host. I'm the creator and editor-in-chief of Divorced Girl Smiling, the company that offers people facing divorce, trusted, vetted divorce professionals, a podcast, articles, a mobile app, and the free consult. Get ready for this one. This story today that you are going to hear is going to shock you so much that you're not even going to believe it. But more important than shocking you, the goal here and why I have this guest on here is so that if you're going through a divorce or you've been through a divorce or you're thinking about getting divorced, you really have a sense of some of the similar feelings of betrayal, cheating, pain, and what goes on in a horrible divorce. All right, now on to the story. So with me today is Michael Zimmerman. Michael is the author of his memoir, Suburban Bigamy, Six Miles Between Truth and Deceit. And wait till you hear his story. Hi, Michael. Hi, Jackie. Thank you for having me. Well, this is going to be so wonderful. I actually don't know if you know this, Michael, but I attended one of your book signings and heard you speak and was just so captivated and so enthralled by what you had to say in a really sad way. But I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned. Thank you. Uh, you're right. There really are. It's, it's a fascinating story um, for over four decades. My father had led a double life with a whole other secret family living in a neighboring suburb, as it turns out, about six and a half miles from where we lived. Um, and, and it was shocking. We found out that there was this whole other family. He had a whole other life, all of it unbeknownst to us. How, how devastating that would be to find that out. So, but tell my listeners, you didn't find this out until what, 10 years ago? Correct. In fact, last week was the 10-year anniversary of us uncovering this life that he lived. So how old were you when you found out? I was 42. That's insane. And and so I want to tell my listeners, Michael is a Philadelphia-based financial services executive. He's married He has a son who's three and a half. So tell me if I'm wrong, but you ended up getting married, obviously, after you found this out. Yes, that's correct. So is there a reason that you weren't married? Do you think this affected that? I I think that as we looked back, and I say we, my mother and my brother and I, looked back on our lives after unraveling the secrets of my father's double life, we feel that he probably had real subtle influences on my brother and I, which led us to be single well into our 40s. Wow. All right. I want to back up. So you were a kid and you were living in the suburbs of Chicago thinking you had this normal family life, right? Was there anything that ever seemed off now looking back? Tell me about that. 
So, you know, we think about hindsight being 2020. So we look back on all the things we uncovered and you can see individual moments in time in the past that now stand out as red flags because you see the whole picture. But back then they were just individual moments that maybe didn't raise up to the level of suspicion to mention anything. So your father was living six miles away in another suburb and had another family. He did. So he he had a whole other family unit in a neighboring suburb and different school districts. So there was no overlap at any point in time. Um, and, you know, we knew where he was probably 85, 90 percent of the time. Uh, he was in the retail business as a owned a car dealership, which was open six days a week. And he was often at the car store. I worked for him at the car store at times in my teenage and college years. Um, so I know how he spent his time there. Um, but it was not unusual for him to work at the car store on weeknights until closing time at 9 p.m. or on Saturdays. Um, so he was definitely out of the house a lot to be at work, um, but that also enabled him a fair amount of freedom to move, come and go as he pleased, which we later found out also included spending time with another family. So your family didn't know about this, but the other family knew about it. They didn't either. Oh, they didn't. No, they did not. So if he was only with them for 15% of the time, what did he tell them? So they thought, he was an attorney who was traveling on business five, six days a week. And early in his career, he was an attorney. Uh, he went into the car business in the mid seventies after his father passed away and he took over the business from his father. And um, so we knew what his career was though, from 1976 onward. Uh, the other family did not, they thought he was still an attorney and he was traveling on business all the time, according to what they thought. Now, in today's day and age, there's no way he could have ever pulled this off, right? With social media and GPS and all that. I mean, right? Absolutely. You, you're, you're absolutely correct. Because, you know, you think about the 70s and 80s and even into the 90s <clears throat> without the Internet and then eventually smartphones and social media. He was able to really fly under the radar. And we know today the way that our communities overlap much more and there's much more um, contact between friends and friends of friends through social media, that it would be very challenging for him to pull this off the way he did for 40, you know, 40 years plus. You're listening to the Divorced Girl Smiling Podcast with Jackie Pilisoff and my guest, Michael Zimmerman, the author of Suburban Bigamy, Six Miles Between Truth and Deceit. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we are going to talk about when Michael found out how he felt and why he wrote his book. We'll be right back. When people decide to get divorced, among their biggest concerns are the children. Are the kids going to be okay? Are they going to start acting out? Will their grades suffer? Will they end up with emotional problems? 
Are they going to become insecure and feel unloved? These are all valid concerns, which is where life coach and parent coach Rita Morris can help. Rita is a mom of two herself. She's been a therapist since 2003. And after becoming a certified life coach, Rita decided to dedicate a large part of her practice to parent coaching. Rita's passion is helping divorced parents co-parent in a way that will help children thrive. She also has a large focus helping parents who have kids with anxiety and ADHD. I just love Rita. Rita is experienced, smart, warm, and extremely dedicated to the profession. If you want to learn more about Rita, you can find her in the Trusted Partners section of Divorced Girl Smiling or on her website, which is apparentspath.com. The other person I want to talk about and recommend is divorce attorney Tiffany Hughes. Tiffany and I have known each other probably since, I'm going to say 2020, and there's definitely an energy and a passion from Tiffany when it comes to women going through a divorce. So Tiffany has been a divorce attorney for 17 years. She is the founder of her law firm, the law office of Tiffany M. Hughes, and she's just wonderful. So if you want to reach Tiffany, you can find her on the Divorced Girls Smiling Trusted Partner page. And then you can also find her at thughueslaw.com. Welcome back to the Divorced Girl Smiling podcast. My name is Jackie Pillisoff. I'm your host. I'm here with author Michael Zimmerman. We're talking about his book, Suburban Bigamy. And Michael, if somebody wants to buy this book, where do they get it, first of all? It's really, it's available anywhere. You can go to Amazon, Barnes and Noble, your neighborhood bookstore. If they don't have it on the shelf, they can order it for you. Um, so it's, it's available through all channels. Um, but the most common, I think that, you know, people are really familiar with is Amazon. Okay. So this story is so unbelievable. Tell my listeners how your family uncovered this. What, what, what's the story there? Sure. So it was shortly after Father's Day weekend in summer of 2013. And my father had a long history of going away on fishing trips. And at that point in his life, he was supposedly going away about once a month or so with some fellow colleagues in the car business, one of whom owned an RV. And they take off throughout the Midwest for days at a time going fishing. And he went away fishing in Missouri with these guys. And after Father's Day, my mother received a phone call from him in which he explained he hadn't been feeling well on the fishing trip. And he drove himself back to Chicago and checked himself into Northwestern Memorial Hospital, where they had diagnosed him with a mild stroke. And when my mother got off the phone, she called me and explained to me that she had had kind of a strange conversation with my father. And she relayed the, the details as she did and something just didn't feel right. You know, if he, if he was away on an RV trip fishing with these guys and six hours from Chicago, how do he depart and drive himself back to the hospital if he was having a stroke? There were some red flags in the story. So my mother decided to call the hospital on her own and she got a nurse on the phone. And when my mother identified herself as 
Norm Zimmerman's wife, the nurse said, oh, I just met you. And so there was an awkward silence and then they both hung up the phone. My mother let me know the, the strange conversation she had with the nurse. And so I said, well, I'll, I'll call the hospital and see what I can find out. So I called, identified myself to the nurse on the phone, who I was, that I was calling long distance to check on my father. And she was an open book. She said, oh, your father came in here on Monday for uh, an elective heart valve replacement procedure. And during the procedure, he had a mild stroke. And so she gave me some details about the prognosis and how long he'd be there doing rehabilitation for the effects of the stroke, which, which impacted one of his legs. And I finished the conversation by thanking her and saying, or asking her rather, hey, can you just let me know if, if anyone's checking on my dad? Because I'm on the East Coast. I want to make sure someone's looking after him. And the nurse said, yes, your mother and your sister and her baby are here. Okay. I now, said, oh, okay. Thank you. All right. Now, at this point, your stomach had to have just, you felt like a punch in the stomach. I mean, you must have just. Well, what? we were really confused, right? Confusion as well as angst and concern, like a swirl of emotions, because you're trying to wrap your head around these details and, and you can't figure it out. And you're thinking, well, gosh. You know, I would maybe. have thought the nurse was like crazy. I would have been like, you know what? We have this crazy nurse. She doesn't even know. She, can't she has the wrong guy. Of, yeah, to, okay. talking about a different patient. Well, we, we got enough information through those the conversation my mother had and that I had that something wasn't right. Because, for example, he, he went in for elective heart valve surgery, and we knew he needed a heart valve replacement, but he hadn't disclosed to us that he was actually going to go forward with it. So there were some things there that weren't right, and it, it prompted us to start scouring the Internet and doing people searches on our father's name. Okay, so he, then now you start searching, you start looking, you start uncovering, and tell me what's going through your mind at this point. <clears throat> well, you know, there's a variety of different sites that you can, can search on your name or, or someone else's name, and all of those search sites – kept coming up with all of our names, my brother and my mother and I, and the towns that we were associated with. Um, and it all made sense. But there was also this other name that kept coming up. And it was someone who was, you know, some of these sites offer the age of the individuals as well. And this individual's age was a little bit younger than my mother. And so we kept saying, and of course, this person had the same last name as us. So we kept saying, well, gosh, is this a cousin? Is this, you know, who is this? And so we started searching on that person's name and it started pulling up my father's name and then the names of two other adults who were kind of around the same age as my brother and I. And so now we're starting to get a picture that, gosh, my father's associated with this other group of people who we've never heard of, who all have the same last name as us. And so we start searching on the names of these young, these adults that are about peers of my brother and I, and it keeps pulling up my father's name and some addresses in nearby suburbs. So we're starting to get the picture here that something's been going on and that he's probably been involved with these other people. Okay. Now at this point, 
I would imagine it would be really difficult because you're so upset, but yet your father's in the hospital, so you don't want to hate him, but now you're really angry with him, but, you know, he's sick, he's in the hospital, so. <laughs> Absolutely, and and it's it's an interesting topic to cover because we were so concerned about his health, because uh, he had portrayed it, as well as a nurse, that you know, there, there was some concern about his prognosis, whether there'd be additional strokes. Um, and we were tentative around how hard we should push. And we decided not to push, not to hop on a plane and show up there, that we just keep doing our research, which included hiring a private detective to go off and research as much as, as he could to come back with any details we hadn't uncovered yet. Um, and in retrospect, that was kind of a tactical error on our part. We should have gone in and confronted him, my father. Well, tell we me about your mother at this point. Like, what was she thinking? She must have been just devastated, hysterical, upset, angry. We, that's exactly right. We were all devastated. She was devastated, and it, it prompted her. It just was a flood of emotions which prompted her to then review 47 years of marriage with my father right and go back and and look at all these moments in time in the past and start to collect these individual memories which at the time were not alarming but now started to line up as a story mm -hmm. and she was was flooded with those emotions you know we didn't unravel just an affair we unraveled this whole other life that my father had, which was a lot to take in. And as you can imagine, we're swirling. We're trying to wrap our head around all the details. And so it was emotionally draining. And so we, we and didn't so have perspective. Hurtful. Hurt. Absolutely. Like I would think you would just be so hurt. Like how could he do this to us? Absolutely. There was, there was a lot of, feeling around the betrayal that went with this whole situation. Um, but I think the thing that we can look back on, we, we can see clearly now the tactical errors we made when we handled everything, how we reacted to him, how we, the actions we took um, or didn't take. And I can, I think the biggest thing that I take away from this is that, that I've learned a lot of the perspective I've gained on this situation. And also in general, when you're confronted with adversity, um, and how you react in the moment versus how you react or think about it when you have time to digest it and apply the proper perspective to it. Tell me the aftermath. What ended up happening? I mean, I think you, I heard in the talk that you gave that your mother filed for divorce immediately and she just said, I want out of this. Yes. So <clears throat> there, was a, there was a lot of fallout. Um, certainly my mother she filed for divorce very quickly, and we had my father serve for divorce while he was actually still in the hospital because um, we were concerned about our ability to have him served once he went home and that it might draw out the process. So he was served with divorce papers, and that kicked off what ended up being about a 12-month process where they were battling over their settlement. And it also included what eventually became us letting the other family know of our existence. So we, we got six months in the divorce process. I continued to have a, a 
speaking relationship with my father. My brother did too. Uh, and part of that was, you know, he was our father. We were still trying to wrap our brains around the whole situation, figure out whether we still wanted to have a relationship with him or not. And we, so we maintained a, a speaking relationship with him. And we also were able to glean a lot of information from him in those conversations, information about the other family, um, information about how he did what he did for so long. And that led us to believe and figure out that they didn't know about us. The other family had no knowledge. So we brought them into it and let them know we existed. So the biggest, I'm going to get to that in a second, but the biggest thing I would think that you would ask your dad is, dad, why did you do this? Why? And did you, I'm sure you asked that. What did he say? Yeah, absolutely. We, we pursued him on that topic and he was never willing to admit how or why it happened. And we are able to piece together the details and figure it out that this, the other family and it was a result of this affair he was having with this woman on the side. And she got pregnant when my parents were married, but before I was born. And so my half brother is 14 months older than I was. So, you know, my, my father now has a son with, the, with this other woman and can't marry her because he's already married to my father, my mother. And um, he's stuck. And I don't know what he was planning to do, whether he was eventually going to try and exit the marriage with my mother. We, we will never know. Uh -huh. But then my mother gets pregnant with me. And so... By May of 71, my father now has two sons with two women, one of which is his wife, one of which is his mistress and other woman. And so he was stuck. Okay, I have another question. Did your dad ever say he was sorry? Did you ever say, Dad, I need to hear that you're sorry? Or did he ever say it? I don't know if he ever said it like that. I, I think our our line of questioning was always more about getting details from him than than understanding his contrition, and or if he had any for that matter. Um, he he certainly showed empathy towards my brother and I and my mother in in the six to twelve month period after it happened. Um, and he took care and consideration in his conversations with us. Um, and that all changed after my mother and he were divorced. But during that period where they were still negotiating the divorce, we were all we were still on good terms with him uh, as good as you could be. Um, he, he showed empathy for us and the situation. OK, now my listeners don't know, but he went back to the other woman, right? He ended up with her. Yes. Yeah, so, <clears throat> you know, he, he, for the entire time, he was really with both parties, both families from the standpoint of he, he wasn't with us for a while and then them for a while. He was truly right. in this throughout the whole time. Um, once we alerted the other family to our existence, there was a huge amount of fallout that occurred, as you can imagine, because then they're at his throat also about the existence of us and which really complicated the last five, six months of the divorce negotiations. Mm -hmm. um, but literally 
the day, day or two after they were divorced, she, the other woman took him right to the county courthouse and married him immediately. Day after my parents' divorce was settled. Wow. Um, so, so you can kind of look into that act and, and see that she finally got what she wanted, I guess you could say. It, 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 you know, my father had said she knew she was involved in something, but she didn't know what it was, meaning she knew she wasn't married to him all that time, but she had taken his last name all those years and their children had our last name. But she wasn't legally married to him and she knew it. And the fact that she turned right around in light of everything that had happened and that they now knew about us, she turned around and married him the next day. See, I would so rather be your mother. I I mean, you know, just because how do you really get past that? So tell my listeners about the other family, like tell us about your relationship or no relationship with them? So we have no relationship. Uh, When we notified them of our existence, there was a brief period of time where my half-sister spoke to my mother and then spoke to me, really because she was shocked to learn that we existed. And she wanted to know what was what. And so we spoke on the phone, and there was a real genuine exchange of information, which which helped all the parties involved kind of close the gaps on the, the, the holes in our life, the story. And when we knew he wasn't around or when he was, and so we were able to, to learn a lot from each other. And I came away from that initial conversation with my half sister thinking we may end up having a relationship or at least additional conversations because there was still so much more information that we, neither of us had from one another that we could still share and learn from each other. Um, but she and her ha- her brother, my two half siblings, they confronted their parents. And the reaction that came forth from my father and the other woman was so volatile. And there was a real circling of the wagons in that family. And there have never been conversations again between the half siblings. And how does that make you feel? Well, I I certainly look at all four children as victims of my father's choices. Um, So I have empathy for everyone involved from that regard. Um, I, I personally had a little more curiosity about trying to understand everything and the whole picture than my half siblings had or have appeared to have. They haven't been as curious as I have. They haven't pursued the details with me the way I tried to pursue them with them. Um, And for me, it was really kind of getting closure, understanding my father more and everything that really happened. Um, They haven't pursued that the same way I did. So we don't have a relationship, and I'm, I'm comfortable with that. I understand that this may be really challenging for them to digest. Not only were they they sharing their time with some other family. Now they knew why he was gone 85% of their life. Right. And also um, it's really a shame because I think that the four of you would really find comfort with each other. 
Um, but I bet you they're being, a, they're feeling a little bit like they're betraying their mother if they cross over and have a relationship with you, maybe. Now, they might. Te- te- yeah. Now, tell my listeners, is your father passed away, right? He did. He passed away in April of 2020. And so what happened then? So it's interesting. Um, the last five years of his life, we did not have contact. So after he and the other woman were legally married, that family unit really put up barriers around him, preventing us to access our father. And so by late 2015, um, there had been a lot of pushback on our attempts to contact him and maintain a relationship with him. And so the last five years of his life, we had no contact. We come to April of, it was actually early May of 2020, and my mother calls me and says, hey, I've got something to tell you. Your father passed away. And I said, okay, well, how did you find out? Because that was always one of the big things we asked. My dad was when everything was being settled and split up and it was obvious this other family was kind of putting up barriers. I said, dad, how are we going to know if you get sick someday? How are we going to know? And he said, oh, I'll always make sure we, I reach out to you. You'll always know. Well, lo and behold, here we come, May of 2020. My mother finds out he's passed away. She found out from Social Security because her payments were going up. Was it sudden? So the, the last five years of his life, he had been in pretty poor health. Um, he was in a hospital bed or a wheelchair. He couldn't walk anymore. And he relied on uh, you know, in-home medical care to come in, get him out of bed, put him in a wheelchair, you know, all that type of stuff. So they had help coming into the house to, for those, you know, daily tasks. And, um, you know, COVID hit, what, spring of 2020. So the in-home uh, healthcare support brought COVID into the house. And so he caught COVID and then had pneumonia. He spent, I guess, about the last 10 or 12, 14 days of his life in the hospital with pneumonia and COVID. I see. I want you to tell my listeners the good part of your story, that you ended up getting married, getting the help you needed, first of all, getting married, and now you have a son. Yeah, it's really been amazing. So, you know, I, I spent a good five years in this experience really struggling as you can imagine, it unraveled every aspect of my life. And I spent a a good portion of that five years kind of at rock bottom. Um, And and I I went to therapy, you know, I I made changes in my life about the way I was spending my time. Um, I realized something needed to change. Nothing was gonna change if nothing changed. I was stuck kind of in that place dealing with this thing that was hanging over me after, you know, we found out about my father and um, so I started to make positive changes, one of which was, um, you know, pursuing a relationship with my now wife and starting a family. And it's been amazing being a father. It's something I really needed and something I had needed long before I did it. I just didn't realize it. Um, and it's been remarkable just having that wonderful little person in my life. And and as far as being a parent, being a father to a son on the heels of this whole situation has been really rewarding. 
Um, I certainly often think about my father and my father and I uh, as I'm experiencing stuff with my son and thinking about how my father would have been handling that or how my father was, was or wasn't interacting with me uh, as much as he should have been because of the way he was spending his time and juggling his life. Um, so there's been a really happy ending to this story um, from the standpoint of becoming a father and looking back with great perspective on the whole thing now and kind of having a, a real sense of closure. Um, you know, for, for much of those five, six years when it really unraveled me, there wasn't a lot of happiness in my life and there certainly wasn't a lot of joy, not a lot of things to look forward to. Or trust. Uh, I mean, trust. you probably Absolutely. thought there's no way I could never trust anyone. Wow. Yeah, a huge wow. part of it. And so you get to this point where you, you get past that awful feeling and then have this wonderful thing in your life with your with your son. Um, and you look back at that bad period in your life and it, it seems seems really distant now because of the joy that I've experienced looking forward with my son. Well, I can't think of a better way to heal than what you have done, because really it is the love and the commitment and the trust and you realizing that not everyone does this and that you are not your father and maybe you took away the good parts of your father you know he couldn't have been an all bad father there had to be some good oh absolutely he and i were very close i considered him my best uh, friend why did you write the book why go public with this so there were a lot of reasons, um, and I, if, I, if I'm objective and I, if I step out of myself for a minute and think about this story, it's a really interesting story. It's got a lot of interesting elements to it. There's the, the scandal itself and what my father pulled off. Um, and then there's this story about me and, and my mother and our family and what it did to us and how it tore us apart and then kind of how we rebuilt ourselves. And so the, all those aspects make it a really interesting story. But in addition to that, there was this, this whole part of trying to figure it out. Like writing became a vehicle to wrap my brain around everything we were trying to sort through because there were so many layers to it. And, you know, I wrote a lot early on and then I stopped and walked away from it for several years. And then I came back to it after my father died. And after I was, I was already a father at that point. And then I really saw the whole story, the whole picture. And writing this whole story and sharing it really became the closure on the healing process. Absolutely. Yeah. What I'm hearing is you did it for yourself, but you also did it to help other people. Yeah, you know, one of the other really interesting things is, and everybody's form of, of adversity is different. But something else I really kind of learned from this is that we're all probably struggling with something and everybody's struggle is different. Um, but everybody's trying to sort through something. And I ended up previously thinking there was nothing wrong with my life until I found out this whole thing had been going on for 40 years plus. And there was a lot wrong with my life. And I just didn't know it. And it, this really pulled back the curtain on it for me. And I was able to dive into it and get an understanding 
and, and through that, I've really got more empathy in general for what everyone may be struggling with in the sense that you're going to have challenges. But, you know, if there's a message that comes out of this, it's even on those darkest days, eventually it gets better. And it may take years or days or months, who knows, but it, there is closure and healing in time. And then you get great perspective out of it in the end. And you're able to leverage that learning as you look forward in life. And how's your mom doing? She's great. You know, we speak often, several times a week. We see each other several times a year. She's out on the West Coast. Um, I'm a, my brother's out with her in Arizona. And, you know, my mother's really loved being a, a grandmother to my son. And so that's been a really awesome experience for her to have on the heels of all of this as well. So I think that's brought a lot of healing and happiness to her life. Um, so she's great. And we look forward to every opportunity we get with her. Oh, she sounds like a wonderful woman. And your book sounds amazing. Michael, thank you so much for taking time to talk with me today and tell your unbelievable story. Oh, thank you for having me, Jackie. It's been great. The book is called Suburban Bigamy, Six Miles Between Truth and Deceit by Michael S. Zimmerman. You can get it anywhere, like he said, but Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever you want. And uh, I, I can't wait to read it. And to my listeners, hope you enjoyed that. If you want to find trusted, vetted divorce professionals, read articles, listen to more podcasts, or sign up for the Divorce Girl Smiling Consult, come see me at divorcedgirlsmiling.com. Thanks so much for listening, everyone, and we'll talk to you real soon.